We've reached the end of a series for the last couple weeks. We've been looking at resurrection power. It's really an extended series on the Easter event, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I was, as we got to Easter, we had Sunday remotely, and I anticipated that it was going to be a difficult couple of weeks or months. And so I wanted to focus on the resurrection of Jesus, because what the Bible tells us is that the, the truth that defines Christian hope is not defined by the amount of money in our bank account, our relationship status, or our job, or our health, or anything else. The truth that defines Christian hope for all of us, regardless of our circumstance, is the resurrection of Jesus. Because the story of Jesus is of a perfect Savior who entered into this world, entered into our broken world, and endured betrayal, endured abandonment by his closest friends, endured injustice at the hands of the authority, endured abuse and humiliation, and even agony and death. But he entered into all of that so that he could give us the assurance that ultimately we will have victory over death. And so in a time of a health pandemic and an economic recession, and the social fabric of our nation just being torn apart, I think it behooves all of us to focus on and reflect on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at Psalm 16. It's one of my favorite psalms and one of the places I go to when I need to get my feet back on the ground and remind myself of what it means to live one day at a time in light of God's grace to us, in light of resurrection power. And so I would just encourage all of you to mark this in your Bibles and go back to this when you have those times when you're struggling to get your feet on the ground and you're struggling to reorient yourself around the truth of God's grace towards us. Psalm 16, it'll show up on the screen, but I'd encourage you to look it up in your, in your paper Bible, if you still have one of those handy, or look it up in your phone and perhaps highlight this to go back to at another time. This is a Psalm of David, and he prays, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God, and apart from you I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out their libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion. You alone are my cup. You've made my lot secure and the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. 
You made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those who are discouraged, who are angry, who are frustrated, who are just uh, maybe even just bored right now. I pray that as we look at your word, you will give us encouragement and help us to see our lives in light of the power of the resurrection so that we can live in that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard someone say this week that the most useless thing they bought this year was their 2020 planning calendar. You know, it's one of the most challenging things for all of us is to live with the unknown, to live with uncertainty, to face the fact that there's forces that are beyond my control that are determining what my life will look like, where I can go and what I can do. You know, we're all part of this complex system, which is life on this globe. And many times all of us are simply subject to the forces in this complex system, and we're just carried along by its tides and its currents, regardless of our plans, regardless of our best intentions. I've heard it said this way, that we're all addicted to control. We wanna control our lives, so when we feel like we're losing control, we start to go haywire. We're addicted to security. We wanna know how everything's gonna work out. We wanna know that we're safe and secure and that our loved ones are safe and secure. And so we almost have a panic attack when it feels like we can't be assured of that security. Mental health professionals will tell you that one of the keys to life in uncertain times and the keys to life during difficulties is just to take one day at a time. That's why if you're part of a recovery group or or, trying to heal from things. One of the things that that we remind ourselves is we've just got to live one day at a time. Jesus put it this way, don't worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, what does it mean to live one day at a time? What does it look like to live one day at a time by faith? I think one of the best pictures of that, like I mentioned, comes from Psalm number 16. And like I said, I want to offer this as a tool for you. If you'll mark this in your Bible, if you'll read it over and over again, maybe read it every morning for a week, I think God will show you how he calls us and how he invites us all to live one day at a time, how it works out to experience the power of the resurrection on a daily basis as we live by faith in him. First thing I want you to see is that to live one day at a time with the power of the resurrection takes a commitment. He calls himself, he calls all of us to commitment. He says, keep me safe, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good things. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out their libations of blood to such gods. See, what he's saying here is he's talking about the commitment that he's made to God. He's talking about the promises that he's made to God. He starts out by talking about his desperation. He says, keep me safe, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. 
I think that's a prayer that we all might be moved to pray that would be appropriate for all of us right now. Keep us safe, O oh Lord. Keep us safe from, from the coronavirus. Keep us safe from an economic setback. Keep us safe from job loss or financial ruin. Keep us safe from, from dirty cops. Keep us safe from the riots. There's all kinds of threats that surround us, all kinds of threats that we have to be afraid of. And God invites us when we face those threats to look to him, to ask him to be the one who keeps us safe. And so he says, the psalmist says, I'm going to take my refuge in you. Ultimately, God himself is our only sure refuge. We take refuge behind locks. We take refuge behind our mask. We take refuge in trusting in law and order, trusting in other people. Sometimes we take refuge in our bank accounts or in our jobs or our, or our own strength and our own plans. But when we're really at risk, the Bible calls us to remember that in God alone, we can take refuge. God alone is the only secure refuge for any of us. And then he expands on that. He says, not only do I take refuge in God, but I take refuge in the people of God. I say of the holy people who are in the land, you are the noble ones, and my delight is in you. This is what it means to be the family of God. One of the reasons we started our church is because we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the family of God expressed concretely here in our neighborhood. And so what every Christian needs is to belong to a local church, to be vitally connected to a local church, because without that, when you don't have a family, you're an orphan. And the way that God works, the way that God helps us, the way that God protects us, the way that God preserves us is through his people. And so this guy makes a, re a resolve that he's going to take refuge in God. He makes a resolve that he's going to focus on the people of God. And thirdly, he resolves that he's not going to be tempted by other gods. In the ancient Near East, when David wrote, there were a lot of parochial gods that people were tempted to worship. And some of them were called Molech or Baal or Azareth. And sometimes when life was getting difficult for the people of Israel, when life was getting difficult for the followers of Yahweh, they were tempted to go to the priest of Baal or go to the temple of Molech and offer a sacrifice and see if that would work better for them. And sometimes in the Christian life, for those who are God's people, we get a little frustrated with what God's doing in our life. We feel like he's not answering our prayers. He's not helping us the way we want to be helped. And it's tempting to put our faith in other things, to put our faith in other people, or, or just to give up our faith in God, or try to put our faith in ourselves. But he resolves, his commitment is, I am not going to do that. I am not going to run after other gods. I'm going to stay faithful to the God who is there. So living one day at a time in resurrection power requires a commitment to of us, a commitment to take refuge in God alone, a commitment to connect to his people, a commitment not to be sidetracked by other gods. And then as we do that, we have an experience. He relates his experience as someone who's seeking to walk day by day with 
with the God of the universe. He says, God, you alone are my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. Could we have the next slide, Nathan? And, and the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I keep the Lord, my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So he's saying that God has answered his prayer. God is working in his life and God is responding to his faith and providing for him. He says, God himself is my portion and my cup. He's saying that God is so real to him that he's finding the satisfaction he needs in life in God alone. You know, all of us have a hungry heart. All of us are looking to various things for satisfaction. Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's something we can buy. Maybe it's a relationship that we're pursuing or an experience that we want to have. And and we all go through these, these different things. We all go in pursuit of these different things, seeking to satisfy the hunger of our hearts. But what he has discovered, what everybody, what, what many people discover in this world is no matter how rich you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter how many people you're able to surround yourself with, no matter how many exotic experiences you have, nothing satisfies the soul apart from God and him alone. So he says, God, you alone are my portion. You are my cup. Psalm 73 is another psalm where he talks about this journey. He talks about the things that he's frustrated about. And he goes back to the temple of God and he prays to God and he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? The earth has nothing I desire apart from thee. In fact, my flesh and my heart will fail. But God, you are the strength of my heart and you are my portion forever. See, we want a lot of things. We're frustrated often because the things we get don't satisfy us and the things we think will satisfy us, we can't get. But all of that for people of faith, all of that for the children of God should simply serve to remind us that God alone is our portion and is our cup. Then he goes on to say that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He looks at the limits that he has to live within and he accepts them. You know, all of us have limits in our life. All of us are frustrated often because we come face to face with our own shortcomings. We come face to face with limitations that God places on us. And, and there's things that we want. There's things that we'd like to do, things we'd like to achieve, things we'd like to experience that we simply aren't going to because they're beyond our limits. Sometimes they're financial limits. There's things we'd like to buy that we simply can't afford. Sometimes there's physical limits. There's things we'd like to do that we can't do. Sometimes there are legal limits. Sometimes there's personal limits. All of us live with limits. And part of a successful life is understanding what your personal limitations are so that you can live within those limits. Personally, I would have liked to have been a starting pitcher for the Yankees, not for a long career, but maybe for a couple of years. 
And uh, but, you know, they never invited me to a tryout. So that never happened. And so I've had to find life and excitement and interesting things in other places. But that's true of all of us. There's things we want that we just can't have because of limits that are imposed on us. But not only are limits imposed on us, we also put limits on ourselves. Part of living life, part of part of going through life is voluntarily accepting some limitations on ourselves. We're limited we're limited by the choices we make. We're limited by the the training or the the career path that we have. We're limited by the career choices that we make. You know, you put, place a limit on yourself when you spend your money when you buy things, when you when you sign a lease or buy a house, you know, the limitation of realizing, wow, I really wish I hadn't signed that lease. Or I really wish I didn't own this house because I can't get out of it right now. Because, because uh, we've limited, we, we impose these limits on ourselves. We place a limit on ourselves when we choose to be in a committed relationship or enter into a marriage because to be connected to one person closes off other alternatives. And so some people simply avoid limits. They say, you know, I'm not going to limit myself. I'm not going to make any commitments. I don't want to commit to a relationship. I don't want to commit to a career direction or commit to a particular field of study. I don't want to, I don't want to make a commitment to a lease or to purchasing a house. But the challenge is when you do that, you don't find real freedom. Then you find the real limitations of not having commitments, of not having connections. So what the psalmist says here is he looks at his life, he looks at the limits he lives with, the limits that have been imposed on him, maybe limits that were created by the choices he's made, and he said, you know what? This isn't too bad. I can't do everything, but I can do some things. I don't have absolute freedom, but I have freedom within the realm that God has placed me, and I can make the most of that. One of the things that is a key, I believe, to living a healthy life, to living a happy life, to living a, a successful life is recognizing what your limits are, recognizing what your physical limits are, recognizing what your practical limits are, recognizing the legal limits that you live in, recognizing what your economic limits are, and then living your life within the boundaries of those limits. One of my friends calls that receiving the gift of limits. Because in a sense, there's a kind of freedom that comes when you say, I can't do this. I can't do that. Because you can look around, you can turn around and rather than looking at the walls that enclose you, turn around and look at the area of freedom that you have to operate and to make the most of life within the parameters that God has given you. So I want to so, so what he says is that he's looked at the boundaries that his life has imposed on him or that he has imposed on himself. And he said, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He's accepted his limits. And the next thing he says is he talks about his true security, the security that he's discovered. He says, because the Lord is always with me, I will not be shaken. He's scared. That's why he says at the beginning, keep me safe, O Lord. He's scared, but he's not shaken. 
And so he's found confidence in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the threats, in the midst of all the things that he's afraid of. He's unshakable because he's connected to the rocks. He's living within his limits, and he's found his satisfaction in God himself. His, his, his sense of the presence of God in his life, his sense of the grace of God towards him, keeps him from being shaken even in the midst of all the challenges that he's facing. And so this is the assurance he has that God is in the process of answering his prayer. God is answering the prayer to keep him safe in the midst of these challenges. So we've, look, we've looked at the commitment he makes, we looked at the experience he has, but now I want to talk about the source of that. How does he, how does he experience this reality? Well, he learns to live one day at a time by faith. If I could have the next slide, there it is, okay. He says, therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You've made known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasure at your right hand. He's secure because he knows that because God is with him, because God's hand is on him, and because God's presence is going before him, that God will not abandon him to the grave, to the realm of the dead. God will not let his body rot in the tomb. In other words, he's saying, I know that difficult things might happen. I know that there's threats out there. I know there's lots of things that I need to be concerned about, but ultimately, God is going to preserve my life. Ultimately, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be secure because God has his hand on me. He says, ultimately, you're not going to abandon me to the grave. You're not going to let me die. And so that's the assurance he has. That's the affirmation he has. And this, this was King David wrote this uh, some 900 years before Christ, maybe 3,000 years ago or so. And, uh, and he's reflecting this assurance, this affirmation, perhaps to, to build up his courage before he went into battle, before he faced some major conflict. And he's just affirming that God is going to be with him and God is going to protect him. And the worst things he fear are simply not going to happen. But there's one problem with this, or one, one question we must have is, the reality is sometimes bad things do happen. You know, we don't want it to happen, but in the midst of an economic recession, we lose our job and we face uh, a personal economic catastrophe. In the midst of a pandemic, we get sick and we're not sure if we or a loved one is going to survive the illness. There's accidents, there's diseases, there's encounters with evil people who take advantage of us. There's injustice all around us. Bad things do happen. And, you know, the reality is, even though David prayed this prayer, you know the story of David. He didn't live forever. Eventually, even King David passed away and died and was buried. And so you kind of wonder at, at some level, was this just an empty platitude that David was saying? Was he just uh, trying to make something up to make him make the most of a difficult situation? Is that all the Bible is? Well, 
were helped in understanding this through the in, through the insight of Peter the apostle. Because actually, if you go to Acts chapter two, one of the things you discover is that in the very first Christian sermon, Psalm 16 was quoted extensively. And Peter quotes Psalm 16, and then he, he says this, it's up on your screen. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of a Messiah that was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, and his body did not see decay. See, Peter says that David here wasn't talking about himself. He wasn't talking about what was going to happen to him this weekend. He was actually talking about his final son, his greatest son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who, truth be told, had the worst of the worst things happen to him. He had his closest friends abandon him. He had one of his close friends betray him. He was subject to a false arrest. He was subject to a phony trial. He died with his hands up. He died with his mother watching him. And he experienced even the abandonment of his father in heaven. Jesus, Jesus entered into this world and he had all the bad things, all the awful things happen to him. And yet, as this psalm predicts, as David anticipated, even though he was buried, he was not abandoned to the grave. And even though he did die, his body did not see decay. In fact, he was able to triumph over that. In fact, even to triumph through the hard things that happened, through the awful things that happened to him. And he rose again from the dead. And the Bible says that you and I can live with resurrection power if we trust in him, if we make Jesus our champion, if we make him our hero, and if we put our hope and our trust in him. Because the victory he won over death was not just so that he could live forever, it was so that we could live forever. It wasn't just so that his body could be made new, it was because that was the leading edge of the first fruits of him making all things new. The resurrection shows us God's commitment, not just to saving our souls, but to saving our holes, to, to beginning the renewal of all things. And that's the hope that David had that enabled him to live one day at a time, even when he felt his security and his life was at risk. See, what's the promise of the Bible? The promise is that life is scary. And every day we need to pray, keep me safe, O God. And then we need to say by, by faith, I will not be shaken. Even though this world around me is being shaken, I'm scared, but I'm not shaken. And the promise for us is as we say that, as we feel that, we look to Jesus and we remember the ultimate truth is his victory over death. And the ultimate hope we have is that because our champion, our Lord Jesus Christ, defeated death on our behalf, we can have confidence regardless of how bad things get, regardless of how terrifying things are, regardless of how hopeful our circumstances seem, if we trust in him. 
and take one day at a time. One day at a time, we can live with resurrection hope. One day at a time, we can live with resurrection faith. One day at a time, we can live with resurrection confidence. And one day at a time, we can have resurrection power as we trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, even as we endure the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. So make that real for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.